Some of some people encouraged me today as I left church. Some people said, Reggie, I really enjoyed that. And I said, what? And they said, you not holler. Now, anyway. <laughs> no, they said, just going verse by verse. But I want you to pray for me because the Bible teaches both preaching and teaching. And Jesus, if you read the gospel, says clearly, there's some places that said he sat down and taught them. And other times it says he preached unto them. And, and uh, a church needs preaching and teaching. And so we're trying to do both of that. But the thing that really got my attention was, was where, where the Bible literally says, cause this epistle to be read in the churches. And I thought, you know, we need to do that. So that's what we're trying to do now. How many saw a lot of things? We talked this morning that, that uh, we talked about the church and the church, the importance of the church. Never underestimate the importance of a church and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We said the church is in God, in Christ there in verse number one. And the church is issued grace from God. From that grace comes peace. And we talked about a work of faith. And what is the work of faith? Anybody remember what the work of faith is? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the work of faith. And after that work of faith, after you're saved, God wants to serve and he calls it a labor of love. And he says, the next thing is be patient in your hope about the Lord. God has a reason for you being here. And let me just tell you something. He will come when it's time for him to come. But we're to live in anticipation of that. And then we got into verse number four and we talked about election. Verse number five, we talked about the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it should come in power and with the Holy Ghost and much assurance. And that's what we need to preach to people. Amen. I tell you, I wouldn't give you a nickel for salvation. It didn't save me eternally, finally, completely and forever. Amen. Amen. Uh, it just ain't no good. I told Van a while ago, I said, apart from grace, I said, the older I get, I'll tell you, if it's not the grace of God, I'm shot. I have no hope, absolutely none, but I do have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and it's assured hope. Then we talked about this issue. Now here's what uh, the Holy Ghost does as he gives Paul. He moves now from some doctrinal issues that we need to have down solid to the practical outliving of your Christian faith when you go out that door. He said there in verse number five, what manner of men we were among you. And boy, I want to tell you something that's important. He said, well, it don't matter how I act. Yes, it does. It don't matter what my attitude is, what I said or what I did or where I went. It does matter what manner of person you are. And because of that, they became followers of Paul and then following Paul. I just want to ask us, if people follow us, are they going to see Christ? Are they going to follow us to the cross? And, uh, and then he talked to verse number six about that, that we, especially these people here, by the way, there were seacoast people down there. Church is just being started, a lot of affliction. And uh, affliction, I mean, Paul, you read the Gospels, read the book of Acts. I'll tell you, everything in the world you could imagine. Beat that man, senseless, yep. where he was basically dead, yep. every kind of stripes. And I mean, just, I mean, threatened his life. And then, of course, finally did give his life. And let me just say something to you. The whole world ain't America. There are a lot of places in this world you preach the gospel, you're going to catch it and you're going to catch it hard and fast. I told Van this after, right here this evening, I said, Van, these, that Hamas bunch, and I make no apology for this. You Hamas people ought to get saved and know Lord Jesus Christ and you wouldn't kill little children like that. Amen. Killing little kids out there and killing women. They're a bunch of cowards. Right. Makes me sick. I said, they're like the devil. You don't know when they're going to attack. Right. Sorry, low down. I'll tell you, it's worthless. You want to have you want to have a good fight. Fight. It'll be a soldier, but don't be killing little innocent kids. Goodness sakes alive! But he said, "You and that affliction have the joy of the Holy Ghost." Isn't it good that we can have the joy of the Lord in the midst of our problems and our trials and our sufferings and whatever's going on? 
And then verse number seven, he talked about him being examples unto people. And we need to be examples to people that believe. And then verse number eight, he tells that church, you sound, he talked about how they had sounded out the word of the Lord. And that's what we need to do. And I thank God for what this church does in getting the gospel to as many people as we do. And then he said, in every place in verse eight, your faith to God word is spread abroad. And I tell you something, we don't need to be canned up in here and sitting on a shelf, Amen. preserved. We need to be getting the gospel out every way to everybody, every time, any way that we can. And uh, that's why I'm excited about some of the vision that some of the men have here at church, because I'm telling you something, I want every town, I, I want people to know about the gospel. I don't, I'm not worried about them coming to church here, but I am worried about them knowing who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for them. And uh, anyway, in verse number nine, then he gets, comes back to that thing. Uh, for they themselves show us what manner of inner end we had to and how. And he talked about these three things. Turn to God from idols. That's repentance. You turned away from the idols. You turned, that's repentance, to God and quit serving him idols. And then to serve. We got saved to serve. Amen. Amen. You want to be happy in the Lord? Serve. Amen. Sign up and list up. And I'll tell you whether that's singing or praying or witnessing or whatever it is. Get in there and get at it, amen. Do something for God. Uh, my, my wife, uh, I'm going to say something, honey, pug your ears up. Karen, pug your ears up. <laughs> huh? She, she said she can't hear me anyway. <clears throat> <laughs> but I'm honest with you. You know what she's doing for church? She went down and seen Mr. Negase. And this afternoon she went up and seen my aunt, who's 90-some years old. And she's always going and checking on elderly people. She has a ministry that way. She's serving the Lord. How she, I mean, she don't want to be, she, it bothers, I guarantee I get home, oh, honey, would you not say my name in the pulpit? I know what I'm going to hear when I get home. She's nice about it, but she don't like me talking about her. But I'm telling you this, what you say, what I'm talking about. She didn't get served to sit around. Serve. She serves. Amen. And you know, and I'm telling you, there's ways to serve that you can't imagine. There's ways to serve people. And, um, and I, but I appreciate it. And I tell you, Mr. Gates loves her. And, and I, uh, Brother Ralph and his wife, they've ministered to her. Other people ministered to different people. And I'm not, I'll be honest with you, I'm not good at that. I'm just not good at that. I, I'll, to be honest with you, I come into a person who's feeble and weak and maybe dying. I don't know what to do for them except pray. I want to resurrect them. I want to heal them. Ah! And getting well, and, and because I can't do that, it, I don't know, it bothers me. But anyway, I, if I'd, I'd have made a good false prophet, I'd have made a good Benny Hinn if I'd have chose that route, you know. <clears throat> I'd been zapping everybody, slapping everybody. I looked at old boy and didn't like him, slap, you know. <laughs> anyway. But I tell you one thing, I'm glad when God saved me, He let me serve. Amen. I'll tell you, wasn't that a good message last uh, Wednesday night? It was foggy and raining, and Brother Michael preached on meekness. And i tell you what, I felt like I ought to crawl to the altar. Boy, he used Bible examples. Man, is a good message. He's not here tonight. He's backslid again. But anyway, <laughs> and then Danny last Wednesday night. And man, there were so many messages, I forget them all. But Danny last Sunday night, he just kind of rolled the ice cream across the cake. And I, I remember that. I, I, very seldom could I remember the outline of a message, but I remember that one. And very powerful. And uh, somebody come by me tonight and said how sweet the camp meeting was. But we ought to serve the Lord. And these kids, uh, yesterday morning, we moved the pews back in. And I'll tell you this, they must have been 25 young men here, probably that many young girls. And they're just working like everyone. I'm, I'm just going to say something. Lydia Landis. Now, boy, she's getting nervous already. All those Landis girls work. Amen. I mean, they work. I don't, I don't, Jim, you shouldn't have to do anything. <laughs> 
Let somebody do everything. But Lydia was over there. Everyone, them chairs you're sitting in, you know what she did? She cleaned every one of the chairs. She took uh, wet wipes, deals, and wiped down all those chairs. I mean, I'm talking, that's, I'm talking about get down on your knees kind of work. And Lydia, I just want to tell you something. I, I, and all you girls, all, all of you ladies, there was girls out there, <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you something else. Hey, some of these girls can grab the end of the pew. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even want to look at me. But I told them, I said, if you ever hit your husband with a frying pan, he'll never survive it. <clears throat> I am telling you, there's some girls in this church that can lift up that end of that pew and carry it. And you say, can I help you? No, don't bother me. You're, you know, I can do it. Okay. Boy, I'm telling you what. But they worked and they labored and they just laughed and had a good time. I want to tell you something. The greatest joy I have is watching these young people work together and do things together. They're working. They're just laughing and having the biggest time you ever saw. Making good memories and serving the Lord the way that God has given them to do. And, and, I, and man, the singing. I'll tell you, if you want to have a good time, come here early and listen to the singing. Amen. Me and Sister Debbie, we was about to get on Holy Land, wasn't we? It good, wasn't it, Sister Debbie? I mean, they, they sing better, seem like then than them. Boy, they was letting it rip. It's good. But anyway, learn to serve some way that you can to other people. And uh, then the, the living and true God. I mean, I'm glad I serve the living and the true God. And then we finished up this morning with verse number 10, to wait. There's that patience of hope in verse number three, to wait for his son from heaven. And every chapter in these two books speaks of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he raised from the dead. We said there's the doctrine of the resurrection and even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And boy, I tell you what, what, a, what a great deliverance that is to be delivered from the wrath to come. So we're in chapter two tonight. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how this goes. We're going to read along. And uh, is, there a, is there a bounce back in that speaker? Can anybody hear this besides me? There's a little bit of a reverb. You're working with it? Okay. That's all right. Hey, things don't work in my house all the time either, I promise you. You guys do a great job. Don't know how you do as good as you do, but you're helping. By the way, that's another place they serve. <clears throat> Getting the gospel. This would not happen. People say, well, I sure appreciate the broadcast. Well, it wouldn't happen. It's left up to me. Verse number one, for yourselves, brother, know our entrance unto you that it was not in vain. When you're the age I'm at, you're, you're, you think about things. What have I done with my life? And what have I done that's in vanity? And what have I done that's worthwhile? And uh, Paul knew something. The Bible said literally in 1 Corinthians 15, for as much as you know, you don't have to wonder about it, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You do something for God, he never forgets it. It counts for him. If you do something for the glory of God, for the right motive and the right purpose, I'm telling you, God remembers it. And it's not in vain. Verse number two, but even after we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated. Now you're going to find out suffering is mentioned here a lot in this past scripture. Suffered before and was shamefully entreated. Uh, that's how Christians down through history have been. Did you know it wasn't, uh, what, this week was the, I forget how many an anniversary of uh, Tyndale being, his body being burned and, and so forth and for, for, for putting the Bible into English language. Well, the devil fought that, amen? And, but can you imagine, they, they stripped him, tied him to a pole, <clears throat> burned him alive for translating the Bible into English language. Shamefully entreated. And that's just the tip of the eye. There's thousands upon thousands of Christian people that were thrown to lions, wild beasts, entertainment to the pagans. Thrown in there with their children. 
I'll be honest with you folks, we don't know much about how the faith that we inherited. We don't know, much, we don't know a lot about how it got here. <clears throat> but I want you to pick this up. He said, shamefully, as you know, at Philippi, we were, underline this your Bible, bold. I'm going to tell you something we need is in the, in the Bible teaches, and that's boldness in the faith. Do not be ashamed to speak for Jesus Christ. Be bold. Be bold. Bold. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You have nothing to back away from. You have no reason to cow down. Somebody says, well, I don't want to offend them. The cross will offend them. Mark it down. When you tell people they're lost without God, it's going to offend them. But the cross offends, but the cross also saves. But Paul's teaching the church here to be bold in our God to do what? To speak unto you the gospel of God. Look at this with much contention. <clears throat> I respect street preachers. Now, I won't be honest with you. God's never seemed like led me to street preaching. I, I don't know why. If he did, I hope I'd be glad to do it. But you get in some of these inner cities and they're preaching. They get spit on. They get cussed out. They get swung at. They get stuff thrown at them and they get, they get taunted. Now, I get a lot of it on Facebook, but that don't amount to hill of beans compared to that. And I'm telling you, continue. you preach the gospel, it's going to, be content, going to cause problems. Amen. Preachers in this church, do not get in your head that because you're going to preach, everybody in town is going to like you. Amen. Because if you preach the word of God, you're not going to be liked. And you know that intuitively. And by the way, that's what keeps us from being bold and talking. We know it's going to cause some contention. I fight this. I wrestle with it because sometimes you've got a friend. They're lost. You want to talk to them about the Lord. You don't want to lose their friendship and lose the opportunity to influence them. But, you know, sometimes if you talk to them, they get offended and pretty soon they're not going to be your friend no more. But giving the gospel to people because the gospel implies they're sinners. And that implication of being a sinner is not pleasant for people to hear. Verse number three, for our exhortation was not of deceit. Now watch this. Our exhortation was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. That's very important. <clears throat> Let me just tell you something. By and large out here, I believe across America that most men pastoring, you know, churches across the land, uh, they're not in there for deceit and uncleanness and guile. I, I just, you can't make me believe that. I don't believe they'd put up with what they put up with for that. But there's a lot of it out there and you've got to watch for it. There's a lot of preaching of deceit. There's a, I had a man this evening commented on a deal about to, uh, where, where in the Bible does it demand that we meet on Sunday? Well, it doesn't. See, that's a pre-canned question yeah. to make this. Uh, the Bible doesn't demand that you work, worship on Sunday. But if you read your Bible, the disciples met on the first day of the week, right. and that was symbolizing the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right. Resurrected on the, he resu Jesus did not resurrect on Saturday. He resurrected on Sunday. Amen. And we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. That's our gospel. Yes. And uh, I, I don't hardly ever respond to anybody. I did respond to him a little bit about that just to consider those things. And by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. And if you're depending on going to heaven by worshiping on Sabbath, you'll bust hell wide open. <clears throat> don't let the, you know, I'm telling you something. It, 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 there, there's a reason we're on Sunday. Yeah. Because the disciples met Jesus, came in that room on the first day of the week. Read this, read the Read the phrase, first day of the week. Look it up in your Bible, in the New Testament. First day of the week, first day of the week, first day of the week. They were meeting on Sunday after Jesus rose from the dead. Anyway, he said they're not, actually they're not a deceit. If anybody tries to bring you under the law that you're saved by the law or you're saved by your works, that's deceitful. Uh, watch what he talks to you. This is a lot about, this is, you know what he's doing here? He's teaching a church how to spot wolves. He's teaching the church what to watch for. 
Our exodus was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Guile is a method of fooling you. It's a method of leading you astray or by deceitfulness. And boy, it's amazing how people can take the Bible and present an argument that's totally against what the Bible teaches. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, Judas went and hanged himself. My next point is go down and do likewise. That's all Bible. Then another one, what there's ever thou doest, doest quickly. So by those three points and those three passages of scripture, I have sold you, go commit suicide and hurry up about it. How many knows that's wrong? That's that's resting the scriptures to your own destruction. It's done all the time to justify stuff. And and, uh, uh, you want the, anyway, I'm gonna get off that. But we ought not in our churches, there ought not be preaching or teaching that is deceitful. Let me tell you something. Can I just give you all something about me? The Lord lets me hang around. Some of you living a long time know this. Don't side, don't sidewind me. Just say, Reggie, I need to talk to you. And here's what it's about. Don't allude to me and try to move me yeah. by sidewinding talk because you'll lose me. Just say, Reggie, I want to talk to you. I'm concerned about this or what I don't like. Just, just talk to me. And if I get bow up, pray for me. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I, when you start sidewinding me and you're trying to do this stuff to me, I lo- you lose me. And I just figured in preaching. Now, I'm going to tell you something else about pre- you preachers. Get this. <clears throat> I said something this morning that, that I look back now and I wish I hadn't said. But if I constantly think about what I'm going to say, I'll never say nothing. If I'm so concerned that everything I say be exactly as it ought to be the way, you know, because I've looked back a thousand times, probably every Sunday and thought, well, I wish I said that different. But if I wait around and try to make sure I say everything right, it's going to be so dead, be like eating cold finish. Amen. Right. Amen. And I ain't having that. I'd rather, I'd rather say a little bit of something that a little off, off base a little bit than just leave any fire, no fire, no, no passion in it, no enthusiasm in it. You ain't going to say everything right. So don't be worrying about that. Do your best and pray the Holy Ghost will guard you from it. And if you see you said something you really should have said, get up and say, I should have said that. Would y'all forgive me and let's have church. Amen. You ain't going to say everything just right. Uncleanness or guile. Now, watch verse number four. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. What a statement. That God would entrust us with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We speak. Now, here, here's God says, he says, God, uh, we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so, we speak. And we need to be bold. And we need to do it without deceit, without uncleanness, and without guile. But here's the big one. Not as pleasing men but God. Not as pleasing men, but God. The fear of man bringeth a, fear of man bringeth a snare. Now, I was 28 when I was saved, surrendered, and preached. And this is the flat out truth. I'm sure I've said it many times. But one of the things that I fought for 10 years from the time I was 18 to 28 was one reason I did not want to preach. Because I constantly watch men being afraid to preach the Bible and afraid to preach the truth. I saw, them, I saw them afraid to preach outside of their denominational boundaries. I saw them afraid to preach the truth to people in their churches for fear they'd leave or get mad at them or quit giving money. And I literally had a bad attitude toward preachers. I looked at them as a bunch of sissy cowards. Because that made me sick. And I told God, I'm, I'm not going to be one of them things. 
And I'm going to tell you something right now. You cannot preach this book and be afraid of men. You cannot do it. And you need to be bold. Now, you only speak the truth in love. People better know that you have their best interest. Paul said, it's not for your destruction. By the way, that's more than once in the New Testament. It is not for your destruction. And we need to have a spirit in us that they know we care and we love them and we mean well for them. It's meant to help you, not destroy you. But you're not, you're going to have to not be afraid of what people say. And it, by the way, let's take this collectively as a church. You in this church, this church is known to stand for some things. Amen. I've heard everything we believe in gets twisted. Yeah. That's the truth. But as a church, we, we want to please God before we please men. Amen. We're not, we've got to please God. We cannot put God below man. And this is in this thing, and that's in our daily life, that's in the ministry of this church, it's in the preaching of the pulpit, and it's in the living out of our lives, is we have to please God first. By the way, this is a good verse for training your children. Son, the reason we're not going to do that, and you want to do that so much, I've got to please God first. Amen. This goes against the Bible. This goes against the spirit of the Word of God, and we can't do that. And son, much as I, watch this, as much as I love you, I've got to please God first. By the way, that's the most effective way, I believe, of teaching your children to love the Lord. When they see that you, your faith is such that you will not put them in front of God. And uh, so anyway, and then he says, which trieth our hearts. Now, there's a Bible doctrine right here that is very critical, and it is the trying of your faith. Let me just tell you something. How many has professed faith in Jesus Christ in this church house? All right. How many of you know something? I'm going to tell you something right now. That profession of faith is going to be tried. Yes, it is. And I'll, I'm going to go further and say, some of you have not lived long enough yet. You're going to get tried. You, 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 see, God knows, and he puts you through the fire so you'll know. And this is something that grieves my heart. I've watched over and over again. is when the trial of faith come, they blew out on God. God tried them. God put them through the fire. The, fi the trial of your faith, they'll be as gold tried in fire. It's precious. Why is the trial of your faith precious? And the book of Peter says that. That you're the trial of your faith. What's that? Testing to see whether you have genuine faith or not. Amen. Testing to see, are you born again? Are you truly, do you truly believe? God says it's precious. Why would it be precious? Because it's going to show you who you are. And it's going to show you who you're not. Amen. And I've seen this over and over again. I've had people get saved later in life. And they say, Reggie, God put me through that trial. And you know what he showed me? He showed me I wasn't saved. How many times has God showed somebody, even midlife, later life, you're not saved. I'm going to, you're going to put you through the fire. I'm going to test you. And you, you find out that, 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 that God tries our hearts. Now, I love verse number five. I'm trying to keep moving. Verse number five, neither at any time used we what? Flattering, Flattering words. Preachers ain't careful, Danny. They you ever flattering words. Oh, 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 oh. And just get up there. I tell you what, I don't know who I was talking to. I think it's Brother Helfers this week was telling about when Karen and I went to the Lutheran church down there in Texas. I think it was you who was telling that. And Karen and I, we have just been married. We was in our first year of marriage and we went down to Texas uh, to wreck telephone line. And about four or five different big, and we line, I think we wrecked 700 some mile altogether that year. But while we was there, we thought, well, this would be a good time to go visit all kinds of churches. Because all I'd ever went to is my little old church down here in the country. So, you know, we're going here and we're going there. And I'm having the biggest time you ever see. But we walked in. And please, if you're a Lutheran, don't get mad at me. All right. I, I love Lutheran people. 
<laughs> but it was funny. Now I'm this old sinner, religious sinner, and I walk in that church and Karen and I sit there, and it's pretty cool. I mean, they got a pretty nice building there and everything's real formal, like, you know, and they got the organ, you know, you feel like you're in a holy place. And, and then the next thing out, this guy walks up. I mean, he comes out of somewhere out of here. He comes out of here and he's coming. I'm not making fun. I'm just having fun, okay? And he comes out and he goes, boy, I mean, this stately walk up there and he's got this backward collar on and a red flowing robe. And I mean, he comes up there, it's just like a, I mean, it's almost like Michael coming out of glory land, you know? And he gets there and he stands there for a few minutes and lets silence sweep the auditorium. And he smiles and he says, we are all angels. I said, bud, you don't know one old boy that's here. Flattering words. You know what he did? He walked right. First thing he said was flatter that bunch. Yeah. You're all good. You're all wonderful people. You have no problem with sin. <laughs> Flattering words. Flattery spreadeth a net for the neighbor's his feet, the, the neighbor's feet. Yeah. Flattery is setting you up. Be careful about flattery. How many notice that I'm, and this ain't the reason, but I'm very, I don't, I got to be careful about what goes in my ear. And somebody tells me, oh, Reggie, you'll never know how that message helped me. And it just seemed like there's this little voice that says, yeah, you really preached a good message. <laughs> you know, a lot of times people, people do mean it. It's how you take things, stuff like that, you know. But I don't know what I'd do if I walked out and somebody said, that's one of the worst messages I've heard in my life. <laughs> I'd probably get, I don't know what I'd do with that one, you know. But anyway... <laughs> I'd probably look at and say, well, you ain't been here enough. You hear one worse than that. <laughs> All right. Neither we use the flattering words. Hey, let's do not flatter people. If you give praise, make it genuine. Amen. Make it genuine. Be real about it. Amen. Don't be fishing for something. And as you know, nor cloak of covetousness. And I'll tell you what, that's done all the time. Cloak of Kevin. They're cloaked up in religion to get your money and swing your money in, tell you all that kind of stuff. I mean, isn't it amazing what Paul's telling this church to watch out for? It really is, you know. You sit there on TV and somebody jumps up and says, and I get tickled with these apostoluses. Yeah. These women apostles. Some of you, haven't you seen them? Oh, yeah, they're out there. And man, they get up and they tell you that God just told me there's some of you listening that if you'll send in a thousand dollars you will get back you sow a thousand you're going to reap ten thousand some of you broke as a fiddle but you've got eighteen dollars in your account send it all to me God will bless you I mean, I'm going to knock those guys teeth out I know I'm not supposed to be a striker, but when you use covetousness and rob people through religion, that's horrible. That's wicked. Amen. <clears throat> now watch verse number six. Nor of men sought we glory. He's covering so many bases right here, isn't he, Brother Josh? I mean, he's covering all kinds of stuff that is under the surface problems in, in churches. He said, we're not seeking glory. Neither of you. We didn't seek it of men. We didn't seek it of you and yet of others. When we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. He said, you know, we could have said, hey, we're apostles of Christ. We've got work to do. You guys need to support us so we don't have to work. Now, Jason, if I didn't misunderstand you right, you said when you're back, you don't need support, right? That's what he told me. I like that. 
But when he's down there, he needs, he's he going to need some help. That's what he told me. He said, raise you down there. I'll probably need help. He said, I get back, I'll make my own living. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Can I just say something? That's one reason God blessed him with the offering he did. Because I believe he'd have went if he'd got nothing. Amen. See, getting something ain't the criteria whether you're going or not. Amen. Anyway, watch verse number seven. Well, let's skip number seven. Somebody says, what's number seven? <laughs> we were gentle among you. How many likes to, to be treated gently? Most everybody does. Nurse comes into your room and you're sick, you know. She grabs you by the ear and says, straighten up. Grabs you by the hair, jerks you around, and says, get to eating your breakfast, slap, slap. That don't fly. Did you know that although Jesus' characters reflected everything you can imagine that's wonderful in all the characteristics of God, there's only two things that verbally are ever said about the character of Jesus Christ. The gentleness and the meekness of Christ. Gentle. Now somebody says, wait a minute, that's not all he was. That's right. When he went into the temple, when he turned them tables over, when he was preaching the 23rd chapter of Matthew and calling them all vipers and serpents and so forth, you think, see, there's a place and a time for gentleness. But as a, as a principal rule, we're to be gentle to people. I'll tell you, when Sunday morning comes in here, I often think, Lord, I have no clue what these people are facing, what they went through with the trial. If the devil attacks them, like he attacks me, I don't tell where they're at. And I don't need, you know, and I need to be gentle. I need to be bold. I need to be, I need to preach the truth. But I need to preach it in a way that is for your good and for your blessing and to help you not to hurt you. We were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. So being, look at that word, affectionately desirous of you. We were willing to have imparted to you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. Now, here's something great in the ministry. You've got to do more. It's got to be more than you say I'm serving. You know what? You know what God blesses when you put your heart into it, when your soul's into it. I, 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 just, I can't help but use this illustration in, in my book. And there's a chapter in my book called The Pie Supper. And then The Pie Supper, this this young guy who's wanting to marry this girl, he comes in late. And uh, he's been married before and had a child. She was six months long and she, had a, she was hit by a drunk driver and he lost his wife and he's a young preacher. Lost his wife and the baby. And he comes in there and there's this girl that's not married and she's expecting a baby, but he, God has just kind of like Danny's deal, kind of told him that's your wife and that's your child. And when he comes in there, he's sitting at the back of the place where they're having this pie, big pie supper for this guy that got hurt in a logging accident. And her pie comes up. And the auctioneer announces it's her pie. And I write this. When the bidding started just a little bit, his hand went up and I write this statement and all of his soul went in it, went with it. Can I tell you something? When you ask that girl to marry you, you put all your soul into it. If you tell that boy yes to marriage, you put all your soul into it. You're going to go do a job for somebody this week. You put all your soul into it. 
I'm telling you, I'm a strong believer that when I step behind this pulpit, I ought to put my soul into this. Not just go through the motions of bringing it, not just go through the motions, but my soul needs to be in concern about your lives, your families, your homes, your children, about the work of the Lord. I'm, I'm just a person who says, hey, put your heart into it. Put your soul into it. If it ain't worth doing that, don't do it. If it's not worth you putting, you know, I can tell you something. Van, I can tell you, guarantee you that his soul is in Camp Joy. Yes. I mean, every, you talk to him, he won't be talking to him five minutes and something will come up about camp. Why? His soul is into it. And by the way, if you, when you get married, put your soul into your marriage. Put your heart into that thing. Pour, I mean, he's telling them here, he said, we just didn't come down and preach the gospel and say, all right, we'll see you next year at the next revival. Yeah. He said, we put our, soul, our own souls. Why? Look at this. Because why? Why did he put his soul into it? You're dear unto us. Now, I want to tell you something. That's special to me. Paul said in the book of Philippians, he said, I have you in my heart. Every preacher ought to have his, the, the, the people of that congregation in his heart. Now, the problem is I, I, can't remember any, I can't remember anybody that's been here for 20 years' name, much less the new people. But that doesn't mean I don't care about you. And we need, and by the way, we need to be dear to each other. Dear, listen, this is, this is not the mooses. This is not the elks. Amen. This is the church. Amen. We're brothers and sisters. Amen. We ought to be dear to each other. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something. Be honest with you. I see Kenny James. I meet him driving down the road. That's not just somebody. That's my brother I go to church with. Amen. He's dear to me. Yeah. Right. His wife, he's sitting by. I remember when her and her little sisters came in this church house, little girls, and they're dear to me. Amen. And I'll never get past that. They're dear to me. And especially people who I've went to church with for years and years and years. I looked over at one of their sister, Connie. You know, she's dear to me. I don't care if she's living up there in stupid Yankee land. She's dear to me. And I can remember, I can remember, you know, please excuse me, but I remember the first time you ever came to church here. I remember that Sunday. We were, I was still, the pulpit was still up there. And, and Brother Paul, I remember saying, he just looked like a big old rough guy. You know, I thought that guy would make a good Christian if he's not. But anyway, he was. He's a Detroit cop, rough kind of a guy. And I'm just saying, though, that through the years, people need to be dear. You don't always be looking cynical at your brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't be dear. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, verse number nine. For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail and laboring night and day. Now, how in the world did he labor night and day? What was he doing? Working during the day and preaching at night. Working day and preaching at night. I'm telling you. Danny, how many years you pastor? Yeah, you, driving, you, you did everything, milk cows, you helped do sales, and mail route during the day, go preach revival at night, pastor on Sunday. Now listen, we were getting here to something. Because, why? Because we would not be chargeable to any of you. He said, I didn't want you to feel like, you know, that, that you, you know, I wanted to support myself so I could, that wouldn't be a barrier or stumbling block to you. And we preached unto you the gospel of God. Your witnesses, watch this, verse number 10, and, and God also, now watch this, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. You know one reason I believe Paul did what he did? I believe Paul didn't want to give, and they said, he's just in it for the money. Yeah. Yeah. They knew Paul was out working and coming to that church. They knew it wasn't for the money. Now, I'm not against somebody in full-time ministry, totally supportive ministry, but I'm just I'm telling you this much. Better be careful about that. Better make sure that they can't say you're in it for the money. 
One time a, a woman out here south of Norwood popped off to some people and said about this church, said, I just wonder what Reg does with all that offering they get up there every Sunday. I felt like saying, I fly to Jamaica. I take Alaska fishing trips. Go on polar bear hunts. <laughs> what do I do with all the money up here? Okay, all right, fine. Anyway. And you know, <laughs> but you know what? There's something we learned there. He said, holily, justly, and unblameably, we behaved ourselves. That's how you and I ought to live. Amen. That's a fact. That's not just Bible reading. He, he, he said, read this to the church. Yeah. And holily means you live a separated life unto God. Amen. And you stay away from sin as best you can by God's grace. And you don't partake of junk that you shouldn't be messing around with. You try to live right before Almighty God. And then justly, you do justly to people. You pay your bills. Yeah. And do right by people. And unblamably, where they can't blame you. Verse number 11, as you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged. There's three things, exhort, exhortation, comfort people, charge people. Every one of you is a father doth his children. Well, how does a father do that to his children? He's got their best in mind. Amen. He exhorts them. He may comfort them. He may charge them. And, uh, but anyway, here, verse 12, let's keep walking. That you, why? That you would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and his glory. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing because when you receive the word of God, wait, everybody, get, get ready, here comes freight train. Hey. When you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it, are you ready? Not as the word of men, hey. but as it is in truth. What is it? The Word of God. And this is what bothered me about that debate that I watched the other day. They constantly were going back to the translators. The translators, as if it were the Word of men. You, to get a hold of faith, you're going to have to get way over men and understand that God Almighty has said that He will preserve His Word. How many of you think that God's dependent upon men to preserve His Word? He uses men. I grant you that. But he doesn't depend on them. And if God can make a donkey talk, he can make a man write what he ought to write. Amen. Get past that and quit talking about, well, uh, one of the translators meant, he said later it should have been this, he should not. That don't have nothing to do with it. Men have zero to do with the inspiration and the preservation of the word of God and quit acting like they do. Because the moment you do, you have put the, the word of God in the hands of men. Amen. Not only as to what it said, but what it means and the power of it. It's a terrible mistake. And men's faith are being destroyed by that kind of thing. Look at that verse again. We, you received it, not as the word of men. What if the Thessalonican believers would have been about like 80, 90% of American churches today and said, well, we're not sure that whoever wrote that book of Deuteronomy did it right. Yeah. What if they'd have said, well, now we're not just sure that David wrote, you, you got all this junk back, you got that stuff today. Well, Moses didn't write this and David didn't write that and Isaiah didn't write this. Yeah. And let me just tell you something, you, just got, you got a choice tonight, you either want to believe God or not. Amen. If you don't want to believe him and you want to think that it's all in some men's hands somewhere. By the way, can I tell you something, I'm going to get rid of something tonight. There's all kinds of stuff going around about King James, quote, was a pervert and that he was a sodomite. And I'm going to tell you something, that's a lie. Yeah. 
If you ain't got enough sense to know that the media of the world will frame and cock lies to, feed, to destroy the power of God. King James did not translate this Bible. He was only the king while it was translated. But do you know what he wrote to his sons before he died? Listen to this. I won't get it quoted exactly, but here's the essence of two main things he wanted to tell his sons before he died. Number one, be faithful to your wife above everything. Do not get caught up in adultery. Number two, at all costs, avoid the sin and practice of buggery. Buggery was a word for sodomite in, in, in old English. Buggery. B-U-G-G-E-R-Y. He warned his own sons against two main things that he said are destroying people and nations. And that is adultery will destroy a nation. He was a king. And was he perfect? Was he sinless? No. But here's what you need to understand, that God always works through authority and there's never been a governmental authority to that from that time forward that has, has approved of a translation being made. And you don't know that God works through authority. You don't got that down. You're not very far in your Christian walk. He always works through it. The powers that be are ordained of God. Do you think God had Nebuchadnezzar under his control? Yes. Do you think God had Belshazzar under his control? Do you think God had Titus under his control? Do you think God has Joe Biden under his control? If you don't, you don't know God. Amen. You say, well, he's doing a lot of stupid things. Well, Nebuchadnezzar did too. And Belshazzar did too. And Solomon did too. And David did too. But God always works through authority. And God does not work outside of his own ordered authority. He's not waiting on perfect men. No. You better get that. Understand, you say, my dad's no good. He's still your dad. My mama, I don't, if if you knew my, no, she's still your mother. And God said to honor thy father and thy mother. God said to obey them that have the rule over you. For they watch for your souls. Bible teaches out here that that these God-ordained authority, we're to respect the the officers of the law, right? Doesn't mean they do everything right. There are some vile, no good police officers, okay? There's some vile judges. And we make appeal and we stand for what's right and we'd be willing to suffer for what's right even when they're killing Christians. But we need to understand the principle of authority. Jason, I I know you know this. You get into Mexico, you're under the authority of the Mexican government. And you have no right to go down and say, well, bless God, I'm an American and you don't tell me what to do. And if you can't do it, then leave and come home. It's the truth. I'll throw this at, well, let's keep trucking. Now I want to show you a little something about that verse 13. But as it is in truth, the word of God, now watch this, which effectually worketh in you that believe. You listen to me. If you have an attitude, well, I don't know that that's what that should be. I don't know if the Bible's right. I think the Bible's got mistakes in it, errors in it. You know what you're doing? You're saying, God, I don't believe. Guess what's going to happen to you at that point? It will not work in you effectually. To the degree that you believe, it will work in you effectually. 
You ever hear somebody say, well, I just can't get anything out of it. You know why? You don't believe. You believe first, understand later. It's the way God works. The just shall live by faith. Faith will be hearing you because of the word of God. It's the way it works. Now, I'm not saying that beyond it. It's just a flat out truth. But I want to tell you right now, if you'll bow your head over this Bible and say, God, I don't understand. I, I don't get it all. I, I, I just think, Lord, I may never understand. But God, I believe this is your word. And Lord, would you speak to me through what I am telling you. God will open the gates of heaven and pull you out of blessing you can't hardly handle it. And the first thing you know, you'll be walking around the kitchen table going, glory to God. I what I just got out of the Bible. It'll work in you effectually and it'll change the way you think and the way you act and the way you talk and everything else. Amen. Well, anyway, that's, these are good stuff. Amen. We talk about good for the church. No wonder God said, read this to the church. Amen. Verse number 14, for ye brethren became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye have also suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now, let me tell you something. He's going to talk about Jews here a little bit. And your people that hate the Jewish people use this passage of scripture. Watch this. Who both killed the Lord Jesus. You know what Paul says? Jews killed the Lord Jesus. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What was Paul? He was a Jew. What was Jesus? A Jew. It is true. They said, crucify him, crucify him. And the worst thing they ever said was let his blood be upon our children. So what did God do? I'm done with the Jews. I hate Jews. I hate Jews. They killed my son. No. He said, I have eternal promises with them. I'm going to set them aside, but I'm going to bring them back into spiritual privilege later on down the road. I'm going to fulfill all my word, just like I said. By the way, the Jews did, they did, they were guilty of killing, but the Romans too. It, was, it wasn't the Jewish soldiers, it was Roman soldiers. Pilate was the one. Pilate was the one who said, all right, you can have him. You just don't take a verse like this out of context to make it out to be the Jewish people are the only people responsible for the death of Christ. You've got to take it all in the cause. Anyway, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they please not God or are contrary to all men. Hmm. This is interesting. Well, you want to know the truth about something, right? It's in your Bible. Yes. Jewish people globally are known to be contrary to all men. That's right. They're the most argumentative, <laughs> one of us, mentally and intellectually superior pride people you'll ever run across. And it has to do with their rejection of Christ, but it also has to do with the blessing of Christ. Now look at verse number 16. Now, I, I preached the other night down there about um, the media. About, remember me preaching on Israel the other night? How many picked up that almost all the media is owned by Jewish people? Now, let me tell you something about the Jewish people in America, by and large. They do not like the New Testament. They do not believe in Jesus. And their view of Christianity is Catholicism, which persecuted them. And they do not like. And by the way, watch this. This is, you talk about the Bible up to date. Look what it says. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Do you know ACLU sues anybody who tries to get the gospel to anybody by, by, by and large. Anything go for Christ, they're sued all the time. Yeah. People, Christian being sued by, just here recently, the man that won the case uh, about making cakes for sodomites out there, he won the case in the Supreme Court, but there's a little glitch in that decision that allowed the state government of Colorado to resue him. Now they've got a transgender outfit that's suing him again. Yeah. Suing him again. And the ACLU is behind all these lawsuits. What's it all about? It's about getting the Bible out of our schools. 
Christian influence out of our government. And the Jewish people, these secular, atheistic, Jesus-hating Jews are vehement on destroying, I'll just give you one this week, of Congressman California. I mean, he railed on another member of Congress who he says is a dangerous Christian nationalist. And if I looked at you, Tobias, and I said, you want to watch out for those Christian nationalists? They're dangerous people. I would submit to you that everybody in this building tonight is a Christian nationalist probably. But they want to make it sound like you're a terrible person if you believe in America and if you're a Christian. You know what that means? You believe in America as a nation and you're not a globalist and you're a Christian. That's who he's talking about. You. And how's he talking it? Like you're a dangerous person. This week, Hillary Clinton, big statement that all the, anybody who supported Trump needs to be uh, re-educated. Did you understand me? That's Hitler talk. Hitler didn't call his camps death camps. They were re-education camps. And if you didn't get yourself re-educated real quick, you would not only be in the camp, you'd be in the gas chamber. This woman is an enemy of all righteousness. She's an enemy of Christ. She ought to be prosecuted for attacking and assaulting the Constitution of America. Let me just tell you something. I don't believe in Muslims. I don't agree with Mormons, but I'm not going to go shoot a Mormon because of what he says or what he believes. We believe this country and constitution. By the way, the founders of this nation knew that freedom of speech was necessary for churches to be able to preach the gospel. For if you do not have freedom of speech, you can't go preach the gospel to anybody you want to. Right Right now, you've got, right now there's a boy uh, in California who was arrested for preaching or just reading the Bible is what he did. I've seen this deal. He read the Bible at a, at a drag queen show out there. And the police came and arrested him. This is in America for reading the Bible. This passage of scripture is real. Paul knew that in that governmental society of the Roman people and with the Jewish people, the Jewish people hated the gospel and they were going to try to, through authority, keep them from, what did they do? They would drag Paul up before the, the magistrates. Remember the book of Acts? Yeah. And say, this man said this and this man said this and this man said this and it's against Caesar. Yeah. And right now what's happening is Christianity and the preaching of the gospel and the Bible is being carved out as an enemy of democracy. And what are they doing? What does it mean to be woke? What is it, what is the frame, what does the words council culture mean? What's council culture? Better get on this. What does it mean? Somebody tell me, what does it mean for you to live in a country like we have now and under what's called council culture? What it, y'all know, don't you? I sure hope you do, because if you don't, we're in trouble. It means that you, I don't like your, what you stand for and believe. You can't talk to nobody. You can't speak your, your, your post will be taken off of Facebook because it's about Jesus Christ yeah. or it's not pro-Palestinian. Right now, while you and I are in church, Palestinians, pro-Palestinians, they've got the, uh, the Times Square filled up there with pro-Palestinian people. And they're trying to shut down Christian thought, Christian preaching. They want to shut it down. They don't, if you, I'm telling you right now, I've been kicked off. Many of you have been kicked off. 
What is this? Council culture. It's right there forbidding to speak, forbidding to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. What, what, what really happened when they took the Bible out of our schools? Council culture. Council the Bible out. What about when they said you can't pray in school anymore? Council prayer out. It's council culture. It's old as the hills. It's, it's not Americanism. It's certainly not constitutional because the Constitution provides freedom of speech. That means that if somebody may be preaching, and I may not agree with it, but it's not against the law for them to do it. This is where we're at. And Paul is dealing with this issue. Forbidding us, verse 16, to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. Why doesn't these people want the gospel preached? Because people might get saved. Satan is behind it all. Satan hates free speech. And then it says this, for the wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, and brother it has. But we, brethren, verse 17, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Paul said, I'm with you in my heart. Endeavored to more abundantly see your face with great desire. Hang on to your hat now. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. Underline this in your Bible. Satan hindered us. Now, let me just tell you, tonight's a close because I keep thinking I'm going to get two chapters tonight. And it didn't work. So we're going to finish up right here. And uh, let me tell you, how many has ever the Holy Spirit prompted you to go pray and before you could go pray, something hindered you. You were going to pray. How many times have you been, you ought to give a track to that guy or talk to that guy about his soul. But somehow or another it didn't happen. Maybe you were going to do something nice for somebody that you know. You're going to bake them a pie or, or go help them. And next thing you know, it's tomorrow and you, you realize, I forgot about that. It, that's just light stuff in a sense. But let me just tell you about this church. Satan wants to hinder this church. And he's fought us tooth and, no till, tooth and toenail for 40 years. He wants to hinder us from getting the gospel out of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to hinder us. Listen to me. You better think higher than you're thinking from loving one another, from suffering long with one another, for enduring one another. He hates that and he'll hinder us. How? By trying to divide us and discourage us and get us occupied with other things. Get our minds messed up to where we can't even hear the gospel of God. Our minds messed up to where instead of thinking like Christ thinks, we think like the world thinks. And he's saying there's Satan hindered us. And I want to tell you as parents, Satan's going to try to hinder you in raising your children. Boy, listen, he'll try to hinder anything of God's work. Underline that in your Bible. Paul said, I was going to come to you, but Satan hindered us. How did Satan hinder him? I'm not sure how he did that, but he did. And Paul recognized this. This wasn't just something that this kind of didn't happen. The devil tried to stop that. How many of you, again, you were prompted to pray because prayer is the most powerful thing in the world. And next thing you know, I mean, I've done it. Five hours later, I was like, I was going to pray about that. And I didn't. Well, let's go on down and finish it up. For what is our hope, or our joy, or crown of rejoicing? Are not ye even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? There it is. He mentions the second coming of Jesus Christ in chapter 2, just like he did in chapter uh, 1. For ye are our glory and joy. And you know what Paul was saying? Now, let me just throw this at you. What was Paul laboring for? Souls. Paul, Paul, Paul you go to Acts 20. 
and read this in relationship to this. And he's talking about, he said, you know, we, he said, I didn't count my life dear to myself. Yeah. And Paul was pouring his life out to see people saved yeah. for the glory of God. And you know what Paul said? That's my joy. You can get excited about buying another place if you want to. You can get excited about a new four-wheeler if you want to. I'm going to be excited about seeing people saved because I know that's what lasts. Amen. And that's what gave him joy and gladness. And I want to encourage all of you tonight. Let's be united together in purpose, considering each other to be dear to one another. And let's make sure that we're on something that's going to last eternally. Amen. That's, going, that, that, that's what gave him joy. Because, and, and, and there's such wisdom in it because it lasts. How many has ever led somebody to Christ? Would you raise your hand if you have? Just hold them up for a little bit. How did you remember that? Why did you remember that? How many of you, some of the greatest, how many would say honestly, raise your probably some of the greatest joy I ever had was lead somebody to Jesus Christ? Van was talking this evening about, and I found out he told me the guy's a pastor. Van, what did he say? He drove up to the gate down there and he wanted to show his wife the place he'd gotten saved. Back in 1980-something. Of all the things that happened to him all these years, what was giving him joy? Yeah. And I just want to encourage you tonight. Listen, I know you got to go to work in the morning. I'm going to go to work. Sun comes up. We'll be trying to cut some old stupid log. Okay? Lord willing. And I know we've got work to do and jobs to do and livings to make and bills to pay and so forth like that. But let's make serving our Lord Jesus Christ the center of what we're doing. And let's make sure that when people say we wasn't flattering words, we weren't using deceitful, we wasn't putting on the dog, we just was being real. We lived a manner of life that they couldn't accuse us of not being what we claimed we was. And that's what all God's asked. It's very simple stuff. Isn't this a good epistle? Amen. It's a good epistle. Well, uh, next Sunday morning, we'll dive into chapter three. But I'm anxious to get chapter four. <laughs> we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air. Let's stand together.